Today's scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 21 through 27. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and be raised the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. This is the word of the Lord. several times, but it is always my custom to pray before we break the bread of life. Father, we ask that you open our hearts, open our minds, calm, uh, calm our hearts, help us settle, uh, help us to hear your word. Um, we pray that the word of God falls on good soil. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Uh, Lord Jesus, be glorified. Uh, Spirit, speak to your people. And we pray that you do this um, for your glory and for our joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. And my name is Tyler, uh, Tyler St. Clair. I pastor. Um, I, I, I compare my church to the little engine that could. I, I pastor the little church plant that could in Detroit, Michigan, um, by God's grace, <clears throat> we are seeing um, God push back darkness. Uh, we're seeing people recover from addiction. We're seeing people walk out of generations uh, of, uh, of sin and, and brokenness to meet Jesus. So um, I'm excited. I'm, I'm exhausted, but excited. That's, that's how I would describe the season of ministry. Um, and I'm just very thankful for your partnership in the gospel, thankful for your prayers, thankful for your support um, down through the years. I didn't realize it's been that long. I was talking to Chris, like, man, it's been four years, and it's kind of been a whole uh, pandemic since I've been back here. But it's, it's my pleasure to be here to serve. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you for your partnership in the gospel. And uh, your family in Detroit sends warm greetings. So thank you again for all your support. Um, raise your hand real quick if you love a great story. Raise your hand if you love a great story. Last year, I took a, a mini sabbatical. My wife reminds me that my church still owes me a full sabbatical. Uh, I took the month of July off, um, and during this time, I, I was um, somewhat forced to watch uh, several mo movies with my daughters. I watched Sing 2 47 times. I watched Encanto uh, 1,700 times, 
and Hamilton a few times as well. I couldn't make it through Hamilton. I fell asleep uh, each time with my, with my youngest daughters, uh, so I've become very well-versed in these stories. Other than Hamilton, I didn't finish it. Um, but, but no matter what type of, of genre, uh, I love stories. Um, according to experts, uh, a great story have, has five elements. There are five elements to a cohesive story. Exposition, rising action, climax, falling action, and resolution. These are the elements of a cohesive story. I believe the first 16 chapters of Matthew is exposition. Who is this Jesus character? Why is he here? What is he doing? And then there is a, a clear shift in Matthew's narrative in chapter 16. I begin, this is, I believe this is the rising action portion, and I will explain why shortly. We read through the verses, they'll also be behind me. Verse 21, Matthew 16. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and to be raised on the third day. From then on, this is a shift. This is a major turning point in Matthew's gospel. From, from then on, marks the conclusion of his ministry in Galilee and begins his journey to Jerusalem, family. Jesus would predict his death three times. This is the first of, of three passion predictions. Um, and, and approximately six months from this moment, Jesus would be on Calvary. Matthew 16, 21 begins the death march of Jesus. At this junction, his disciples still don't fully grasp the, the ramifications. They, they, they don't fully grasp the purpose of Jesus. The disciples and, and many of the people around Jesus were, were looking at him as Moses or Joshua 2.0. They just wanted, um, they wanted Israel to be free from Roman oppression. But Jesus' ministry, his mission was much greater. Jesus notes uh, Matthew notes that Jesus said that his impending death, his, his arrest, his torture, and his resurrection were necessary, that it was necessary to suffer these things. Yeshua, for his kingdom to be fully realized, he had to suffer, he had to die, and he had to raise on the third day. Again, this is the first time of three passion predictions. And as Jesus would predict, he would get more explicit. He would get more detailed each time. Let's keep reading. So Jesus says, I have to go. I'm going to be arrested. I, I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to die. And I'm going to raise again. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you are not thinking about God's concerns, but only human concerns. Well, that escalated very quickly, didn't it? Peter, who is want to do, Peter, who is very known to open mouth, 
insert foot, speaks and rebukes the Lord. The, the, timing, the timing of Peter falling on his face spiritually is very ironic. It's somewhat comical. This is ironic because the scene before this in Matthew's gospel, something amazing happens uh, including Peter. Uh, uh, Peter was involved in something amazing happened. Let's, let's jump up a few verses in Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus gives a little clue in the question. Some, then, then they replied, some say John the Baptist or others Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Again, they, they were looking for, they were looking for a, a, an earthly savior, an earthly savior. They were looking for an earthly messenger. Verse 15, but you, he asked, asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. Uh, and also I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. As the name and the fame of Jesus spread through the region, Jesus posed the million-dollar question, and, and, and um, Peter gives the million-dollar answer. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. But by way of divine revelation, Peter proclaims that Jesus was the Savior of the world and the Son of God. Jesus is both deity, Jesus is both divine, but he's also the man who came to reconcile humanity back to God through his cross and empty tomb. I have teenagers in my house, and they often make fun of me because I'm getting old and lame according to them. But my kids and Gen Zers would say, Jesus is him. That's how my kids would put it. Jesus is him. Jesus of Nazareth was fully God, fully man, the, the redeemer, the rescuer of all of God's creation. According to Jesus, Peter's revela revelation and his declaration was the foundation of the church. It says, on this rock, I will build my church. Jesus proceeds to employ some, uh, some wordplay, nicknaming Peter the rock. Jesus declared that, that Peter, i.e. the rock, would, would play a fundamental role, <clears throat> excuse me, a fundamental role in this new redeemed community. And he would later speak to all of the apostles in the same way. Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 2, verse 20, Paul says that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles as Jesus being the chief cornerstone. Isn't this amazing? You and I, have the privilege of building on what Jesus started through his original followers. Isn't that amazing? You are a part of something so much bigger than yourself. You, you are a part of something so much bigger than your local church, which is amazing, which is godly. All that's true, but you are a part of something that's eternal. You are building on something that Jesus started, and he got the ball rolling through his... Original followers, Martin Luther would say, 
All of those who agree with Peter's confession are Peter's themselves, setting a sure foundation. Family, we don't, we don't build on fads. We don't build on trends. We, we don't build on what's popular. We don't, we don't build on what's palatable. We don't build on social media. We don't build on social issues. We build on a gospel foundation, and Jesus is our cornerstone, a sure foundation. I love this encouragement. I, I love this word of assurance from Jesus. He says, and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overpower this this new messianic community. This this church that Jesus established will be able to withstand evil and will advance the cause of Christ until he returns. The old folk will say, you can take that to the bank. This is a promise. This is a guarantee. I love this imagery. Jesus is saying the kingdom is marching forward. We're not on the defensive. There's a soapbox I'm going to put my foot on for like 30, 45 seconds. So often we speak as though we're losing the culture. We're losing our country. We're losing the battle. No, 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 baby. We are on the offense. We are moving forward. We're not in a defensive posture. We're not losing anything because Jesus won once and for all. The kingdom is moving forward. We are on the offense, and nothing in hell can stop it. The gates of Hades, the the gates of hell won't prevail. Take heart, weary believer, weary ministry worker, weary pastor from Detroit, because King Jesus, King Christ, is advancing his kingdom in dark places, in a very dark world, and there is nothing Satan can do to stop it. The gates of hell won't prevail. I know it looked bleak. I I know there's times as if Satan has the upper hand. We're, quote, losing the culture war. But Jesus promises that his kingdom, his gospel will advance. It's unstoppable. The prophet Habakkuk said, So there's going to be a time that that the glory, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the whole earth. That's where we're headed. What an amazing scene. Peter got it so right. Who do they say that I am? The Messiah. You're the Savior. You're the Son of God. He, He declared who Jesus was, and Jesus affirmed it. He affirmed him. Now let's jump back to verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him and say, oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Peter, devoted follower of Jesus, close friend of Jesus, who recently proclaimed Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus' true identity now sought to protect him from this suffering that he prophesied. Uh, Peter the rock who recently got it really, really right, now has it all the way wrong. That word rebuke, it means a a strong and forceful correction. Peter aggressively is chastising, uh, Peter is aggressively chastising the Lord Jesus, and in response to Peter's chastisement, the Lord rebukes his dear friend. Get behind me, Satan. 
You are a hindrance to me because you are not thinking about God's concerns, but only human concerns. Now, Jesus is not saying that Peter is filled filled with a demon, uh, but he's saying you have allowed the enemy to influence you. You've listened to the hiss of the serpent. You, You heard a divine revelation recently. God spoke to you and through you. But now you are listening to the hiss of the enemy. Unlike his previous confession that came directly from heaven, Peter's words now are are out of line and out of sync with God's divine plan. Peter is uh, suggesting that the Lord avoids death and suffering just like Satan does when he attempts to tempt Jesus in Matthew 4. He says, if you just follow me, if you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this. In drastic contrast, Peter has gone from speaking the revelation from God to being the mouthpiece of the enemy. In his anxious zeal, in his, in his uh, deep concern for Jesus, Peter missed that Jesus said, it is necessary that I suffer. If, if I don't suffer for your sins, Peter, you won't be redeemed. It's necessary. According to the Lord Jesus, Peter was looking at this situation from a human perspective or a, a human concerns. Family, this is a cautionary tale for us. The, this rebuke that Peter received is a cautionary tale for me. We cannot forget that the same enemy that that temporarily blinded Peter lurks today. Peter literally walked with Jesus. Peter got divine revelation from God on the Messiah and still fell prey to the hiss of the serpent's. And the same enemy is present today. This very same Peter, many, many years later, would say this in 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded, be alert. Why? Your adversary, the devil, is prowling like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. My brothers and sisters, this is so so important. You must stay spiritually locked in. You must stay spiritually alert. You must keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because Satan is looking to distract. Satan is looking to devour. So often, Christians get it twisted. Our enemy takes no PPO days. Our, our, enemies, our enemy doesn't get a sabbatical. He doesn't get a rest. He doesn't take them. Some of us kind of drift into spiritual ease, spiritual uh, apathy, and the enemy is there waiting. Be alert. Be sober-minded because you have a real enemy who is on the prowl, prowl. in this current age. It, it is so easy Because we have messaging everywhere. It it is so easy to be swayed. It it is so easy to be pulled into what Jesus said, human concerns or earthly perspectives. 
every single day through media, through messaging, and through our own personal interactions, we, we have countless gospels preached to us. Several different gospels preached to us. We must walk closely with the Lord Jesus. We must be spirit-led, and we must walk closely with his people. We must walk deeply in community to stay alert until the Lord Jesus returns. Despite Peter's objection, the cross was the central purpose for Jesus on this earth, not just to teach, not just to do miracles, not just to engage people. Jesus knew that he came to earth as our Savior, and the cross was necessary. Let's keep going. Verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow me, follow after me, let him deny himself, take up a cross, take up his cross, and follow me. That word then is so important. So so after Peter's confession, after uh, Jesus' first first, uh, passion prediction, after Jesus rebukes Peter, then Jesus lays it out. Jesus lays out the cost of discipleship. He lays out the cost of discipleship in these three phrases. First, he says, follow me. I believe this is a direct call back to when he first called his disciples. Listen to this, uh, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers uh, Simon, who was, all, who, was, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, they were casting their net in the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fisher, I, I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were, in their, they were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing, preparing their nets, and he called. He called them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. What always strikes me is the, the immediacy and the finality of these men's commitment to Jesus. No delay no hesitation, no negotiation, no bargaining. They don't do the Christian, the Christian swag where we say, let me pray about it, and that just means no, but I'm going to stall out how I come up with a reason to say no to you. Y'all don't, they don't do that here? They don't do that in Nebraska? In Detroit, when somebody says, let me pray about it for a minute, Lord, just give me the no. <laughs> but, but their response to Jesus is immediate, These two sets of brothers left everything familiar to follow the unknown in Jesus. David Platt explains it this way. Pursue me, Jesus says. Walk in my footsteps according to my word, adhering to my ways, trusting in my power, living for my praise, end quote. Following Jesus is allowing his word and the spirit of God to lead you in all of life. Does your obedience to Jesus look like these fishermen? Does, 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 does your, your, your following of the prompting of the Holy Spirit 
Does it look like these fishermen, or is there bargaining? Is there negotiating? Is there delay, or is there partial, partial surrender? Family, partial surrender is still disobedience. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. Follow him. Secondly, he says, deny yourself. King Jesus demands self-denial for discipleship. Dr. J. Vernon McGee said, the hardest person in the world to deny is yourself. I can say no to people really easily. Whatever the opposite of a people pleaser is, that's what Tyler is. I can say no so easily. And, and be refreshed sometimes. Like, that felt good. I didn't want to do that no way. No. <laughs> I can say no to people really easily. But guess who it's hard to deny? It's hard for me to say no to myself. It's hard for me to deny self-gratification. It's, it's hard for me not to be self-focused. I can say no to people really easily. It's hard for me to deny myself. Family, we cannot approach Jesus merely as a, a, a religious leader, or we, we can't approach his words as suggestions, but we must submit and surrender to him as king and Lord. If we're honest with ourselves, everything else around us is pulling us away from surrendering to Jesus. We live in a culture, we live in a world, maybe it's just in Detroit, maybe it's not down here, maybe it's not down here in Bellevue, uh, in Bellevue, but life all around us is saying it's all about me. It's all about my desires. I can build and construct my life based on my comforts, my desires, my leisure. But that's not the gospel. That's not following Jesus. Recently, coming out of the pandemic, I've read several articles on the, the rise of self-care primarily directed towards women. In the summer of 2021, uh, uh, a research, research study by Mind Body um, gathered this research, and they said 75% of Americans coming out of the pandemic were more focused on self. Additionally, 50, uh, approximately 50% 50 of consumers plan to spend their money on self-care in the next six months, including spas, treatments, leisure, things of that nature. Based on recent research, specific industries are exploding. Social media algorithm, algorithms are going crazy, and more and more people are spending their time and their money on self-care. Is this wrong? No. Is self-care wrong, evil, sinful? No, but it's not primary. Yes, take your me time, but your greatest need, and what will actually refresh you the most is completely surrendering more and more to Jesus. You can't fully rest You'll still be weary. You'll still be exhausted. You'll still be emotionally drained and depleted trying to rest physically without resting your soul in Jesus. The more you surrender to him, the more rest you truly will have. 
while self-denial is, is completely countercultural and, 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 and counterintuitive, is mandatory to follow the Lord Jesus. Denying yourself means uh, you are daily living as Jesus is your king. Denying yourself means your education, your employment, your marriage, your family life, your time, your talent, your treasures are all placed at the feet of King Christ. Quoting David Platt again, for the early disciples, the language of taking up your cross would have immediately brought to mind the image of crucifixion. Everyone carrying his cross was a dead man walking. Your life as you once knew it was over. It says, follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross. This, this, was, this had to be a very odd pitch. Follow me, but it means you are dying to yourself. And Jesus uses the most gruesome, humiliating mode of torture and death known at that time to describe discipleship. The phrase, take up your cross, figuratively points to how your old life is sentenced to death once you surrender to Jesus. The prince, the prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, famously said, there are no crown bearers in heaven who are not cross bearers on earth. There are no crown bearers in heaven who did not carry their cross on earth. I'm going to make it plain like Jane. The life of following Jesus, according to the king himself, is a life of denying yourself, denying your desires, dying to some of your dreams, embracing humility, embracing suffering until he returns. For the Christian, our lives should be marked with putting Christ first in everything, everything from the mundane to the monumental, we put Christ first. Now, how could Jesus make such a big, bold, audacious request? So wait a minute. You want me to follow you, but to follow you, I have to die to myself, deny myself, orient my entire life around you? How could Jesus make such a bold, audacious request? I'm glad you asked. The reality is Jesus Christ can make such a bold demand because he took up his cross first. The Lord Jesus can demand our very lives because he gave up his life to redeem and rescue us. Jesus can demand, can demand us dying to self because he died in our place for our sins. The Lord Jesus can tell you to pick up your figurative cross because he picked up a literal cross to rescue you from the wrath of God. The sinless, holy Lord Jesus, in the ultimate act of love, in the ultimate act of self-denial, received the judgment of God for sinners. 
And now he provides a way of redemption and eternal life because he rose on the third day. Follow me. Deny yourself. Take up a cross. Practically speaking, how can we practically apply this? Practically speaking, think of two to three ways that you can give more of your time, your talent, and your treasure to the Lord Jesus Christ this week. Start small. Start small. Think of two to three ways that I can give more of what I have to Jesus. What are three practical ways that you can deny yourself in your time, in your talent, in your treasure? Uh, Three ways that you can say, I've been holding on to this. I've been holding on to my time. I've been holding on to this, but I'm going to give it to the cause of Christ. I'm almost finished, but here's my main idea. Here's here's the, the thing I want you to take away from this message. Because Jesus gave everything on the cross, we give him everything in our lives. Because Jesus left, temporarily left the splendor of heaven, the, the celestial worship of angels, condescended, put on a human body, lived sinlessly, was tortured, humiliated, died for our sins and rose again because Jesus gave everything. We respond by giving him everything. I'm going to begin to conclude with verse 25. As I tell my church, I'm turning the corner. I'm almost home. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will someone give in exchange for his life for the Son of Man? Verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in glory, in the glory of his Father. And then he will reward each according to what he has done. We can't skip over four. Four in verse 25 is connecting it to verse uh, 24. It is a cause and effect. Stay with me for a minute. Four means because or as a result of. So, so So Jesus is saying... Follow me, take up a cross, deny yourself because of the realities of verse 25 uh, through 27. Thankfully, Jesus is not like Nike or not like my grandmother growing up. It's not just do it because I say so, just do it. Jesus gives a command with a reasoning and a motivation, the motivation behind us bearing our cross, the motivation behind us following him in all of life. It's because any other choice will lead to eternal destruction and separation from God. It's just that simple. There are two options. It ain't multiple choice. Option one, a person loses their life by surrendering to Jesus, by taking up their cross, by denying themselves, consequently finding eternal life. 
Jesus said, even on earth, I'll give you life and life more abundantly, a life of joy, a life of peace, a life of contentment, a life of being led by his spirit. You'll have a beautiful, amazing life on earth. It will be hard. You will suffer, but I'm going to give you abundant life if you lose it first. It's option one. Option two, a person attempts to save their life, operating as if they are king, as if they are Lord, consequently losing it and receiving death. In Christ, we're called to live lives of self-denial and cross-bearing because it is eternally fruitless to gain everything on this earth and lose it in the next. Quick side note, soapbox, one foot, not standing fully on it. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who defines what it means to follow him, not us. Jesus is the one who defines discipleship. He's the one who defines the church. He's the one who defines Christianity. Jesus is the one who defines it, not us. We don't have editorial abilities. There's a massive misconception that many people possess today. Many believe that they can define what it means to be a Christian. They can define what it means to walk with the church. They think that they can define what it means to be a believer. King Jesus once and for all defined what it means to follow him. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Then you can be my disciple. According to Jesus, a person is at, at risk of losing their life, losing, losing their life eternally if they try to save themselves from death, from pain, from suffering, from discomfort. However, when you give your life fully and utterly to the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll discover true life. Verse 27 says, the Son of Man is going to come, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. The Lord Jesus has been giving all authority on heaven and earth. If we fast forward all the way to the end of Matthew, Jesus dies, Jesus rises again, he calls his disciples, he gives them, he calls his disciples, and he gives this, this what we know, now know as the great commission. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What a bold statement. When Jesus returns, he will reward and he will set free the righteous, those who lose their lives for him. He's going to reward them. He's, I love it. John says, when we see Jesus, we're going to have a new body. John says, I don't know what it's going to be, but when we see him, we're going to be like him. We're going to shed this body of sin. We're going to be rewarded by Jesus. And then those who try to save their lives, those who hold on to this life, will be condemned once and for all because of what Jesus accomplished through his death and his resurrection. Jesus now has a place of preeminence over the entire world. Paul 
lays it out beautifully in, Philipp- in Colossians 2 as well, but, but also Philippians 2. He says, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. He's talking about putting in the context of putting others' needs before yourselves. Let, let this mind uh, be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. What is this mind that Christ had? Jesus, Son of God, the God-man, he emptied himself, Philippians 2. He said he emptied himself, took on the form of a servant. Jesus humbled himself, becoming obedient even to the point of death. And because of that, Philippians 2.10 says, because of this, now, now the Father has given him a name above all names that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, voluntarily or involuntarily, will bow at the name of Jesus. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Jesus can demand our lives And Jesus is the final judge because Jesus paid the ultimate cost. So until he returns, until the Lord Jesus returns, let's live for him. Let's live for him with, with all that we have because he gave everything to save us. Let's pray. Father, we... There are no words to articulate how lost we would be without you. Our, our minds, our minds can't, can't comprehend the spiritual darkness and, and the depth of our sin we would be in without the Lord Jesus. Thank you that because of our elder brother, because of Christ. We've been reconciled. We've been brought into the family. We've been redeemed. We've been adopted. We're now covered in the righteousness of Christ. Lord, help us by your Spirit to live for your glory, for your namesake, for the advance of your kingdom, for the spread of your fame here in Bellevue and in Detroit as well. Let your kingdom come. Let it come in our hearts. Let let it come through our lives. Let it come here at First City. Let it come at Cornerstone Church. Lord, help us to live in a way that we are constantly denying ourselves all the more and surrendering to you. Lord, we need your spirit to help us do this. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.